0: In touch with technology with TechStuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to TechStuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland, and this week I want to talk about Disney Magic. Not just Disney Magic, but the Disney Magic, the oldest of Disney's cruise ships. And the reason I wanted to tackle this topic is that by the time you hear this episode, I will have just returned from my 10th cruise with Disney. So you might say I'm a bit of an addict. Uh, I thought it would be cool to talk about how the Disney magic works and explore the sort of things that make cruise ships possible. Now, before I jump into this show, I just want to let you all know Disney had nothing to do with me choosing this episode apart from the fact that I'm going on a cruise anyway. This is not a sponsored show. I'm not getting any perks for recording it. In fact, Disney's not even aware I'm doing this. They wouldn't know me from anybody else out there. And I say this because I am a Disney fanboy. I'm going to geek out over Disney stuff as well as the cruise ship technology stuff. And it's important you know I have a completely biased opinion, but it comes to me honestly. Now, that being said, the company, if they decide they want to sit me on a cruise, they can do that. I'm not going to turn it down. I love them. I'm really hoping that I can actually get a bridge tour this this uh, cruise, but they don't tend to do those. So, if it happens, it will only be because somebody took pity on me. All right, so let's let's talk about the history of Disney in the cruise industry. Um before the Disney company actually commissioned its own cruise ships, it partnered with an existing company called Premier Cruise Line. Back in 1985, Premier became known as the official cruise line of Walt Disney World, and Disney characters would appear on Premier ships. It was one of the things that set Premier apart. Premier was also known as the Big Red Boat, because some of their ships were big and red. Big-ish. They're not as big as the ones that you would see today in the industry. And the nickname of its flagship, Starship Oceanic, was the Big Red Boat. And it actually became the official name of two of their other ships. They actually renamed them because both of those ships were older. With the exception of one of their ships, the starship Atlantic, which was built in 1982, the company's fleet consisted of ships built between 1955 and 1970, so they were a little on the creaky side. The partnership with Disney ended in 1993. Premier would eventually go out of business in 2000 and out of all the ships in their fleet only one still exists and that is the Atlantic all the others have either been sold for scrap or they sank so Disney had kind of dipped its toe in the cruise partnership world and once that partnership with Premier ended you know it was a an agreement to last a certain amount of time essentially a little less than 10 years, the Disney company started to hold talks with other cruise lines, including Carnival and Royal Caribbean. But neither of those companies could agree to Disney's terms, essentially how much money they would have to pay Disney to allow Disney characters to appear on those cruise ships. By 1994, the rumors were that Disney, the company, was looking at creating its own line of cruise ships. Now, the actual Disney Cruise Line Department was founded in 1995, and Disney commissioned two ships from an Italian shipyard called Fincantieri. Uh, the two ships would become the Disney Magic and the Disney Wonder. And according to a website called Hidden Mickeys, the Magic cost $350 million to build. I've also seen that figure go up as high as $400 million to build. So between 350 and $400 million, dollars. So a big, big investment on the part of Disney in an area that they had not really explored, but they saw an opportunity. Because as Disney representatives will tell you, the issue with the cruise industry was it was mainly geared toward adults. And a lot of uh, senior citizens as well, but not so much to families with children. And so they saw it as an opportunity to do to the cruise industry what they had done with theme parks and hotels and other things like that. So they decided to take this plunge. Now, Michael Eisner was in charge of Disney at the time, and he wanted the ships to have a classic ocean liner feel. So something akin to what you would have seen back in the old days of ocean liners. We're talking like the early 1900s. And to take those lines and kind of update it with modern accents, but to still have that classic style. So that's exactly what the engineers did. They started to design this so it kind of had this sleek look of a classic ocean liner, complete with two smokestacks, even though those were not both necessary more on that in a second and they decided that the interior decoration was going to be in the art deco style for the disney magic the wonder actually has an art nouveau style now the ship was constructed in two halves you had the the bow and the stern the front and the back the front half of the ship was built at the encona shipyard and the back half was built at the Margera shipyard and those two shipyards are more than a 100 miles apart from each other. So once they finished building out the fore half, the the forward or front half, they had to tow it back to the other shipyard. And they did this by placing it on a giant kind of floating barge, essentially, and towed that up more than a 100 miles to the other shipyard. And then they had to fit the two together. Now, remember that this ship is like a small city. It has all of these independent systems that make up the ship. That includes a water system, so lots of water pipes, uh, an electric grid, including electric generators, uh, climate control, and more. I mean, everything that you would expect to have in a nice hotel has to be on the ship, which means all those systems have to be self, uh, self-contained. And that means that all of this stuff laid out had to fit together perfectly. You could not have any misalignment or else the conduits where you would allow electrical wires to go through or the air duct systems or the water pipes, they wouldn't match up. So they had to make it precise and hope that they could fit it together exactly the way it needed to. And this is not a a small challenge. It's actually pretty tough. So once they got to the point where they were ready to put the two halves together, each half had to be put on a giant rail system, and this allowed them to very slowly bring the two halves until they met in the in the center, and then they started to weld the ship together, and that's where you get the full ship, the Disney Magic. Now, this construction project encountered multiple delays throughout the process due to other construction projects being a little slow. Uh, at the shipyards. And it meant that Disney had to keep pushing back the date of its initial sailing. And uh, it ended up being almost five months late as a result of this. Uh, the Magic finally set sail across the Atlantic to its home port in Florida, over at Port, port Canaveral, and was ready for its first cruise uh, several months later than it was originally planned. In, uh, I believe it was uh, July of uh, 1998, so a little bit later than what they had hoped. At any rate, it does take a long time to build one of these ships. There's a lot that goes into it. In the design process, you have the Imagineers, that's the Disney term for the engineers who bring Disney's flair into whatever projects they're making. So Disney Imagineers are responsible for pretty much anything physical that you encounter within Disney. So you think about the Disney parks, the Imagineers are the ones who are designed, uh, who had designed all the theming, all the rides, everything that you encounter. An Imagineer has had a hand in designing. Same thing is true for the cruise ships, but it meant that they had to design things and then shipbuilders actually had to make it happen. So it was an interesting relationship because this was not something that they had done before. So Imagineers would typically use 3D rendering software to build virtual representation of a space that they wanted to create within the ship. So you had a virtual model, and then you had to plan out how could you achieve this physically. And in some cases, it might mean that you had to go back and redesign. That's why you have to use that 3D approach so that at least it's less complicated than building something out and then realizing it's not going to work. Now, Part of that included building up spaces specifically for kids. I mean, this is Disney we're talking about. And in fact, kids have a couple of different areas on a couple of different decks of the various Disney cruise ships that are dedicated just for them. Adults, apart from the supervising adults, are not allowed in that space. So uh, the worst part is these are some of the coolest areas of the ship, and typically you only get to see it maybe when you first board. Sometimes the Disney allows adults to tour the spaces before the ship gets underway because you might be looking at it in order to decide whether your kid will go to the Oceaneers Club, for example. And maybe you don't have a kid, but maybe you do want to be an Avenger, so you go anyway. I'm not saying I've done that. I'm just saying I'm not above doing that. At any rate, a lot of really interesting spaces, and when the Imagineers were designing these spaces, they had to take certain considerations in mind that you wouldn't necessarily think of for other spaces. So they actually built out some rooms that had lower ceilings, which makes the kids feel taller because they're in a space that is scaled more to their size. They also created different stories for different areas, like there's a Toy Story area, there's a, uh, a Pixie area, there's um, the Avengers area, which is the one I really want to go through, and then there, uh like the Oceaneers Lab, which is more of a science-y, uh, ocean voyage-themed area. And all of this had to be done on computers first, before building out the actual physical uh, uh stuff that would fill up these spaces. And then there had to be the installation phase. So all of this is very technical. It takes a lot of work on the front end before you ever get to a point where a guest actually walks onto the ship. Now the ship's tonnage is 84,000 tons. That means the ship has the volume of 84,000 tons. That's typically what tonnage means, and it's a pretty big ship, though not as big as the Disney Dream or the Disney Fantasy, which are two of the younger ships in the Disney cruise line. And of course there are other cruise lines that have ships much, much larger. So the Magic is 984 feet long and 106 feet wide at the beam. That means just the widest part part of the ship. And it's 171 and a half feet tall. The draft of the ship is 25.3 feet. Now, the draft refers to the distance from the waterline to the bottom of the hull, also known as the keel. So you measure that distance, and that's how you get the draft, 25.3 feet. Now, when it launched, the Magic was one of the largest cruise ships in service. In fact, I think it was the third largest ship in service at the time. Now, since then... It's been eclipsed big time. There's Allure of the Seas, which I believe is the largest cruise ship currently in service. That's run by the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. That one is 1,181 feet long and 208 feet wide with a tonnage of 225,282 tons. So enormous, huge, much bigger than the Disney Magic. But when Disney Magic was first built, it was considered to be a pretty big ship. Now the Disney Magic has five 16-cylinder Sulzer diesel engines, each of which ha- uh, can has an output of uh, 15,448 horsepower. Serious horsepower there. The total horsepower for the ship is 77,243. Now that means the Magic's engines have the power equivalent to 100 Formula One race cars running full speed. There are also two 19 megawatt general electric propulsion motors that's what actually turns the or provides the power to turn the propellers in the propulsion system. and the ship has a fuel capacity of 20,000 gallons of diesel fuel. so it's running on diesel um, to run these engines which also provide the electricity for the entire ship. And the ship's hull has a special coating on it that's designed to actually make it move through the water with less resistance, which reduces the amount of work the engines have to do in order to move the ship. So this was a, an effort to reduce the fuel consumption of the Disney Cruise Line ships and uh, also means that the engines themselves don't have to do as much work, so they don't need to be um, uh, replaced or repaired nearly as frequently. Although of course every cruise ship out there undergoes a period of maintenance. It's called dry dock. It's when you bring a ship in, you elevate it above the waterline, and you're able to really work on it and make sure that it's ship shape. Now there are three bow thrusters and two stern thrusters, each uh, 1,800 kilowatts, and the arrangement allows the ship to turn into play turn in place without moving forward. So in other words, you can rotate the ship. 360 degrees and not be moving forward at the time, uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, I've actually seen it done because that's how – well, I've seen it done with 180 degrees because that was how the cruise ship would pull into one of the ports of call, the Disney's private island. They would actually turn the ship completely around so that you would back into the space – I don't think they actually have a rear-view camera to do that, but maybe they do. Actually, they have lots of cameras all over the place in order to be able to navigate the ship. Now, like I said, the ship has two smokestacks, but one is used for exhaust and the other is decorative and actually houses some other stuff in it. Um, so only one of the two smokestacks actually is for exhausting smoke from the engines. But they decided that they wanted to have the two smokestacks on the cruise ship to give it that classic look. The cruising speed that the ship can attain is 21.5 knots. It has a maximum speed of around 24 knots, although I've read that it can go as fast as 26 knots, which might be after the Magic has had a couple of um, renovations. It's been uh, upgraded both in 2013 and 2015. More on that in a little bit. One of the interesting things about the Disney Magic is that they have their lifeboats painted a yellow color to match the color of Mickey Mouse's shoes. This was actually a big deal. The U.S. Coast Guard has a standard for lifeboats. They're supposed to be a bright orange, which is considered to be one of the most visible colors on the surface of the ocean. So if you are in a lifeboat, you want to be really visible so that you can be rescued. And Disney had to prove to the Coast Guard That the yellow they wanted to use was in fact just as visible as the orange. Or else the Coast Guard would have said, I'm sorry, I know you want to have this beautiful color because you want it to fit the theme of your boat, but people's safety is more important than theming. But Disney was able to prove that the yellow was in fact just as visible. And so they were able, they were allowed to paint their, their lifeboats yellow. And in fact, the cruise ship in general is designed to have the color palette of Mickey Mouse. So it's essentially white, black, red, and yellow. Uh It has 11 passenger decks uh, and, and three, I think, crew-only decks, but 11 decks that passengers can go on. The decks, of course, are floors, kind of like floors of a building. And it has the capacity to hold 2,400 guests, although according to some, some sources I've read, The actual limit is closer to 2,700, and it has a crew of about 950 people. So you have just shy of a 1,000 people working on this ship to make everything go, and then another 2,400 who are guests. Uh, That's a lot of people to be on one boat. There are 875 staterooms, 262 of which are inside staterooms, which means you don't get a view of the ocean, which is kind of sad. But you have 613 that are outside staterooms, and out of those, 384 have a veranda, uh, which is really nice. And there are three major themed restaurants, uh, Lumiere's, Animator's Palette, and what used to be Parrot Key and is now Carioca's. Uh, plus, you have an adults-only restaurant called Palo and a buffet restaurant called Cabana's, and every restaurant has its own galley attached to it. And a galley is a kitchen. So every single restaurant has its own kitchen. Um, and on the big ships, that's seven galleys total. Now, this was actually a new approach in cruise ships. A lot of cruise ships have a single galley that provides all the food for any of the places where you can get, get food. And in fact, a lot of the cruise ships only have one restaurant that you go to. Disney was different. It had all these different themed restaurants. So by having a galley attached to each restaurant, it meant that the waitstaff doesn't have to travel a ridiculous distance or use escalators or elevators to get food to where the guests are. Uh So this was another innovation in the cruise industry. In addition, guests rotate through the restaurants. I mean, not literally. You actually go to a different restaurant each evening. You get an assignment when you get to your stateroom that tells you which restaurants you go to on which evenings. And you travel one to the next. And, uh, if, you know, you also get your waitstaff to travel with you. So the people who are doing your drinks and food service go restaurant to restaurant as you do, which means they get to know what you like, what you don't like, any allergies you might have. This was another big innovation in the cruise industry, something that you don't see in other cruise lines. So some of the innovations that, that Disney came up with aren't necessarily technological, but they were big changes to the way things had been traditionally done within the industry. So those galleys have to store a lot of food. And according to Disney, on a seven-day cruise, passengers consume a total of 5,000 pounds of beef, 10,000 pounds of chicken, 1,200 pounds of salmon, 1,300 pounds of shrimp, which I will skip because I discovered this year I'm allergic to shrimp and it will kill me. A thousand pounds of lobster tails. I'll also skip that because I found out on my first Disney cruise that I'm allergic to lobster. That was ab- about 17 years ago. Uh, 15,000 pounds of melon, 4,500 pounds of pineapple, 71,500 eggs, 57,820 cups of coffee, 3,125 gallons of soft drinks, 12,385 bottles or cans of beer, and 2,700 bottles of wine and champagne. And that, my friends, is a party. Also, the cruise I'm, I'm going to go on that I've already been on by the time you hear this is a 12-day cruise. So those numbers are even higher for my trip. For the larger ships, it essentially comes down to having to prepare 20,000 meals a day. So that means that these galleys have to be outfitted to do that. And that includes these huge industrial-sized ranges, ovens, boilers, all sorts of equipment that is of enormous size to allow for simultaneous preparation of hundreds of dishes. Some of the stuff they'll do beforehand, like for sauces, they'll actually make sauce by putting all the ingredients in these huge boilers that can hold gallons of sauce at a time and they'll have it cooked down overnight. I actually have done tours of the galleys aboard these Disney ships and they are incredibly impressive. They are enormous. They have to be spotless. I mean the Disney Disney in general prides itself on trying to maintain a clean environment as best it can. The kitchens are are amazing in that respect. You'll also see some of the largest cookware you've ever seen in your life, unless you're in the military, in which case you'll say, hey, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Um And it's laid out in such a way to be as efficient as possible and allow for a massive amount of traffic because you have the waitstaff coming through to pick up the finished dishes and take them out to the various tables. Meanwhile, you've got the cooks actually actively working on the food. So seeing this Enormous amount of technology all in one place, even though it's technology we're all familiar with on some level. The kitchen stuff is not like it's super high tech kitchen stuff, but just seeing it on that scale is incredibly impressive. And uh, if you do ever take a cruise and they have a galley tour, I mean, it doesn't have to be a Disney cruise, any cruise, and they have a galley tour, I encourage you to try and take that because it's really an interesting experience to see how behind the scenes things have to happen in order for you to be able to get your dinner and it's pretty phenomenal now out of the major restaurants uh, animators palette is probably the most technically sophisticated in the original incarnation aboard the disney magic the way this worked was you walked into animators palette and the restaurant starts out with just everything in black and white the tablecloths the, uh, the walls, the columns, which were designed to look like paintbrushes. Everything's in black and white. Even the waitstaff's outfits were all in black and white. And as you sat down to dinner and dinner commenced, you would start to hear music from various Disney movies. And if you looked around the restaurant, you would see that there were portraits from Disney movies all in black and white all around you. Some of which were static portraits. They were just They were drawn essentially onto the walls, but they had had a a frame set around them. Others were actually displayed on LED television screens, essentially. And if you listen to the music and you recognize where it was from, you could actually look for the corresponding images on the walls and slowly color would seep in. Now, with the LED screens, that's pretty simple. You just, you know, you have a little animation Program that allows a, a black and white sketch to be infused with color. But for the static portraits, what they used were fiber optic cables that were behind the walls. So you have a computer system that is timed with the soundtrack for the dinner. And as certain songs play, the computer sends the command to light up certain fiber optic lines. And those portraits would slowly go from black and white to color. Uh, animators palette has changed quite a bit since the renovation that happened in 2013, where a lot of these static displays were removed and new led screens were put in place. So I'll talk a little bit more about that when I get to the renovation side of things. But this was one of those experiences that people really felt had the Disney touch. You walked in, you sat down, the restaurant transforms around you, even so much that the waitstaff would change into colorful outfits, uh, they would go backstage, essentially, and change into their colorful outfits, come back out, and this would be the big dessert celebration part of the dinner. And it was incredible. It's certainly like you might, if you're, if you're a grouch, you might roll your eyes at such a thing. But to see all the, the families and kids get really excited when th- this transformation happens, it's it's like going to Disney World for the first time and having that experience of discovery. Now, I've done this – it'll be ten times by the time you hear this. So for me, I, I I still enjoy it, but there's not a whole lot of discovery left for me at this point. That being said, I, I still think it's one of those experiences that really sets the Disney cruise line apart because it's pure Disney. Um there are two theaters aboard the Disney Magic. One of them is specifically for live performances, although they'll also show movies in that one. And the other one is specifically for movies, uh, although they'll also hold live conference type things in there. Like sometimes they'll have special guests aboard the cruise ship that might give a talk in the second theater. So the big live action theater is the Walt Disney Theater and the cinematic theater is the Buena Vista Theater. Um, so the live action one can seat around 900 people and the Buena Vista one are about 280 or so. And, uh, they're both really impressive. In fact, the, the Walt Disney theater has a lot of different interesting technologies behind it. It's got a stage that's about 40 feet wide. It's pretty impressive considering it's on a boat and it has an advanced fly system, which doesn't involve zippers necessarily anyway. A fly system in theatrical terms is a term for a rigging system. And the rigging system is a bunch of ropes and pulleys, and they're meant to do things like move curtains or lights or scenery and sometimes even people. So if you've ever seen a show where a person is in a flight harness and they're flying around, that's because they're part of the fly system. And of course in Disney that happens a lot. You've got characters like Peter Pan who fly around on, over the stage. So they are a uh, part of this or dependent upon this pretty impressive flight system or fly system. The stage also has several lifts. Uh, so they have lifts that can, that can elevate or re- recess below the stage. There's a storage area below the stage where scenery can, can, uh, be, or, or actually characters can wait so that they can dramatically appear on stage, the being lifted out from underneath. And, uh, It's really pretty incredible to think about that you're on a moving platform, you're on a ship and the ship is at sea and you have these theatrical elements that have to be placed on elevators to go up or down. So you might think, well, how do they make sure stuff doesn't slide around if the ship is rolling a little bit? And there are two things that they do. One is that the stage itself has tracks built into it and the scenery can be placed on these tracks. They look like almost like, if you remember old slot cars, it looks kind of like the slots for slot car racing. And you set the scenery into these, and you can even have it all computerized and automated so that the scenes can come on and off through a computer control. Uh, but that the tracks actually limit where the scenery can move so that way it doesn't just roll all over the stage if the seas get a little choppy the other thing they can do is they can also alter the shows so they can take out stuff that isn't necessary for the show if the sea is acting up a bit so what they'll do is they'll they'll simplify a sequence so that there's not as many elements on the stage or they might remove some of the dance moves that the performers need to do so that they aren't endangering themselves while they're trying to perform. And so it's a combination of changing the performance itself and depending upon this technology. If you talk to people in theater, they often will refer to the cruise ship stages being as advanced as something you would see on a state-of-the-art stage on Broadway or London's West End. That's the amount of detail that Disney put into this stuff, including things like LEDs that are inside the uh, the ceiling, where you'll get a starlight effect inside the theater. It creates this more immersive experience for the audience. They also have pyrotechnic capabilities, so you'll actually get some fireworks in some of the shows. And these are all things that you wouldn't necessarily think to find on a cruise ship or even just a regular theater, theatrical stage, uh, I've got a chance to do a behind-the-scenes tour of the stage as well. Disney used to do a lot more behind-the-scenes stuff um several, like more than a decade ago now. And I took those opportunities to take those tours. It was really interesting to see how they made as much use of the space as possible. This theater doesn't have very much wing space. So everything has to go either up or back or down from the stage because there's not really a whole lot of room stage left or stage right. And it also showed how technical these shows were. They had to be timed just right for multiple reasons. They had to be timed just right so that the scenery and the lighting and the effects are all coming on at the right time. So you have all these very sophisticated computer systems that keep all of that um, synchronized properly. And you also have to time it right because of the schedule that people have in the evening. You would either be coming from dinner and seeing a show or you'd ha- see the show and then go to dinner and you don't want anything to run too long and interfere with the rest of the schedule. So it was really cool to see how they had set up these computer systems that were all specifically designed for each show. And keep in mind, if it's a long cruise, they do multiple shows. They do two shows a night for the two different seatings that they have for dinner. There's an early seating that kids tend to go to, and then they go see the show afterward. And then there's the late seating that adults tend to go to. They see the show earlier in the night. They see it before dinner. And that means that you have to have a sophisticated technical system that can handle all of the needs of each show, do it twice a night, and then be switched over for the following night. And it is really neat to see this stuff backstage. If you ever get a chance to uh, check that out, you should. There are also several documentaries, more or less commercials for the Disney Cruise Line, that do show you some of the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. And it's cool Sadly, most of them are pretty limited in what they show you. So if you ever get a chance to actually do a behind-the-scenes tour, I highly recommend it because it is really cool to see how they put this stuff together. Uh And keeping in mind, this is all on a ship that's moving around. I, As a performer, I, I've done some stage work. I've done musicals where I have to dance and sing. I'm not great at it. And to think about having to do that on a stage that's actually moving is terrifying. So let's talk about some of the other technical stuff about this ship. Not just the theater, which obviously I'm a huge fan of, but the actual things that make the ship itself work. The most technically complicated area of the ship is undoubtedly the bridge. The bridge of the ship is where the ship's senior staff who are in charge of the the systems that keep the ship running... And navigate navigation as well as uh as actual uh steering the ship, all of that is located on the bridge. And uh then you have other departments that are obviously very important where these those officers would be located elsewhere. They would not be on the bridge. That's where your ship's captain is going to be most of the time. And if you were to take a look at it, it'd look a lot like uh the Star Trek Enterprise set. I mean, you have these different consoles with computer screens and lots of complicated looking controls, and they're all very important for the control and and safe operation of the ship. There are stations for communications, navigation, and other critical systems all on the bridge. And you'll see lots of screens showing stuff like current sea conditions, uh, weather, uh, any sort of naval traffic that's going through the area, ship status, that kind of stuff. They do have a ship's wheel, so you could stand behind the wheel and use the wheel to steer the ship. But they also have an option to route all the ship controls into a joystick, so you could actually have the thrust, the the steering, all of that in a single joystick, which is particularly useful if you are maneuvering in or out of a dock. You can also hand over controls to a land-based system if necessary. But it's really interesting to see that all of these complex controls like the thrusters and the, the steering and all of these other elements can be boiled down to a single joystick control when necessary. In normal operations, you wouldn't be using that. But for something where you're using precise movements and you're trying to maneuver so that you can dock or something similar, then it becomes necessary. They also have a semaphore flag station Yeah, the cruise ship still uses semaphore flags in case other communication tools are unavailable or not working. So semaphore, you've probably seen it, the idea of holding flags that have symbols on them, and then you uh, move your arms in a particular way. It usually looks very robotic, very stiff. But those are specific ways of communicating messages to other ships when your communications tools have otherwise died down. It's all visual-based, and you can send messages like, we're in distress, or... Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, we've got, uh, the, we need some help, whatever it might be. And they have a whole cabinet filled with the various semaphore flags they would need in order to communicate at any part of the world, which is pretty cool that they have the low tech version of long distance communication along with the more high tech versions as well, because you want to have some redundancy in those when you're talking about more than 2000 guests, You've got to have those redundant systems in place just in case something goes wrong. There's also apparently a bridge simulator for the kids in Ocean Quest, but that's a kids-only area. So that's one of those things I've heard about, but I've never actually seen, because despite my sense of humor and my general personality, I am not a child. So I'm not allowed to go there. But they apparently have a live camera feed from the bridge that serves as the, uh, the vision they see. Like the, they have windows or actually they're displays, but they look like windows up in front of them. And that's coming from the live camera feed from the bridge. And then you have controls that you can use as a kid that simulate the way it would work if you were actually on the bridge of the ship itself which sounds so cool that I wish that all the staterooms had one of these, because I would play with it, but, again, I'm not allowed to go there, so I haven't been able to experience this myself. Some other interesting technical details. When Disney Magic anchors, when they have to lower the anchor, they're lowering an anchor that weighs 28,200 pounds. So imagine the torque necessary on the motor to be able to lift 28,200 pounds worth of anchor. The ship has seven propellers. It has two primary propellers and then five thruster propellers. I mentioned the thrusters earlier. You have two in the stern and three in the bow. The two primary propellers weigh 18 tons each. They are enormous and heavy. And in order to limit the amount of rolling that the ship does, rolling is the side-to-side motion. Like if you're looking for, uh, meaning you're looking forward from the position you are in on the ship, rolling would be the left-right motion, the port and starboard rising and lowering, as opposed to the fore and aft. Uh, That's rocking, so you can rock and roll on one of these ships. The stabilizers are meant to reduce that rolling. They are actually two large wings that can retract into the ship or extend outward if the seas start getting choppy. And it's beneath the waterline, so you don't see it as a passenger, but beneath the waterline, these two wings extend outward and create some stabilization. And they look like plane wings and they're, they're pretty big. So, uh, they, according to Disney, they reduce roll dramatically. They actually said up to 90 degrees, which is pretty amazing. And I'm not entirely sure how that's possible, but at any rate, uh, they are meant to reduce that rolling so that you don't get that seasick feeling walking around inside and being rocked all over the place. Um I am not prone to seasickness so I haven't really had an issue with it apart from I think one cruise where for some reason it was affecting me. But I do know that even with the stabilizers some folks are a little susceptible to that. So if you ever do go on a cruise, look into dramamine. That can help you out a lot. Now, one of the other things you have to think about is when you're on a ship and you're out at sea, You are a completely self-contained community, and that means you have to figure out how you deal with other stuff, like garbage and waste, and how do you conserve water and energy so that you're not being wasteful. So one of the things they do is they actually have a way of collecting the condensation from air conditioning. So as air conditioners work and water condenses, you know, water from the atmosphere condenses on the equipment, they can actually collect that water. They harvest it, and they use that water to wash the decks, and they also use it in the laundry system. It's perfectly fine. It gets filtered through and everything. It's just condensed water from the atmosphere. It's actually pretty clean stuff. But uh, Disney estimates that this approach saves them up to 22.3 million gallons of fresh water every year. So it's a pretty interesting way to get around the issue of how do you deal with uh all of these needs without wasting fresh water. The ship can also distill 1,200 tons of fresh water from seawater every day. And the total potable water storage capacity aboard the ship is 82,000 gallons. They also recycle used cooking oil, so they go through about 264 gallons of cooking oil every week. Now that oil is taken by a company called the Bahamas Waste Management Company and they convert it into biodiesel. They also have a uh, partnership with BMW and there's several BMW vehicles that run on this biodiesel, uh, in the Bahamas. Disney estimates that it recycles 900 tons of aluminum, paper, plastic, and other odd recyclable stuff every year from their cruise line. Now, Going back to the Disney Magic and talking about its original uh cruises, it set sail on its maiden voyage on July 30th, 1998, out of Port Canaveral, Florida. And originally it only sailed for three or four day cruises. Uh, in fact, the first time I ever went on one, it was a four day cruise. Then a year later, the Disney Wonder joined the fleet. Uh, the Disney Wonder and the Disney Magic are nearly identical. The theming is different. It's Art Deco in one, Art Nouveau in another. Some of the spaces are themed a different way, like the different uh, nightclubs and stuff that you can go to have different themes. Uh, the main restaurant on the Disney Magic is Lumiere's. The main one on the Disney Wonder is uh, Triton's. Um, Helmsman Mickey is on a, is in a statue in the lobby on the Magic, and Ariel, the Little Mermaid, is on the the Wonder. But otherwise, apart from some superficial differences, they're largely the same. So once the Wonder came online, it started doing the three- and four-day cruises, and the Magic began to do seven-day cruises, which meant that Disney had to come up with all new ways of entertaining guests and uh, feeding them and making sure they had enough variety on their menus so that people weren't just tired of eating the same thing over and over. So it came up with new challenges. In 2013, the Magic went in for a massive facelift. Uh, Disney actually called it a reimagining, which makes perfect sense when their engineers are called Imagineers. Now, this time, they took it to the Navantia shipyards in Cadiz, Spain. So they weren't at the same place that uh, they were when the ship was being constructed. And there was another dry dock period in 2015 that updated a few more features. The 2013 dry dock lasted two months and involved taking apart about 80% of the ship for upgrades, including stripping the ship completely of paint. So you can see pictures of the Disney Magic and dry dock from 2013, and it looks pretty pretty banged up because all the pain has been removed. Uh, in 2015, they upgraded the engines aboard the Magic to be more efficient and reduce fuel consumption further, uh, along with that special coating on the hull. And one practical addition to the ship was the ducktail. And this was not a Donald Duck reference. The ducktail is an industry term. It's essentially a tank that's placed in the back of the ship that adds buoyancy. And it's distributed so that it provides buoyancy without making the ship list to either side. This is really important because during this renovation period, they added a lot of features onto the Disney Magic, which increased the weight of the ship. And it wasn't built to hold that much weight. So they had to adjust the design of the ship in order to account for that, to account for the change. Disney added a second water slide. There was already one small water slide, which they actually replaced and made a slightly larger one. Uh, and this new water slide called the Aqua Dunk is a, uh, a, is a, a slide that's designed to do a pretty rapid drop into water. Uh, it's actually a twisty slide. It goes 212 feet and twists that way. And part of that includes a 20 foot clear section that extends out over the side of the ship and over the ocean. So for a 20-foot stretch of that, you're directly over the ocean. You can look down and see the ocean about 100 feet below you. Uh, sliding down takes about five seconds, so you have to look fast. It's actually a really tough thing to have water slides on a ship. This is another engineering challenge. Water slide technology is pretty simple. You pump water up to the top of the slide. You let the water go down using gravity as your main force to the bottom, and then you collect the water, filter it, pump it back up. Not a whole lot of complicated technology there. But the engineering, when you're talking about a water slide on a cruise ship, is much harder. And the reason for this is that cruise ships can twist and torque. They can bend in different ways. They also can expand and contract because the body of the ship is made out of metal. And all of these mean putting extra stresses on what is supposed to be a water-type water type tight water slide. So if you want a watertight slide and you're going to have all of these different motions to take into account, you have to build it on a very special material and you have to figure out a support system that will move along with the ship while keeping the integrity of the slide intact. On top of that, you have engines running at different levels throughout the cruise, which means you're going to have vibrations sent through the ship. And yes, if you're quiet... And you're in a quiet spot, you can feel the vibration from the engines pretty much anywhere on the ship. Of course, you can feel it better when you're closer to where the engines are. But if you're, if you're very quiet and you, and you just, you know, touch a wall, you can pretty much feel the vibrations. Well, that slide has to take that into account too. You are constantly being rattled. So this was actually a pretty tough challenge for the Imagineers to create a slide that was fun and safe and would be resilient to these different uh, stresses on it. And I think that's pretty uh, impressive. Uh, one of the other changes they made was to the ship's horn. Originally, the horn only played the first few notes of when you wish upon a star. And if you're a Disney nut like me and you hear it for the first time on your first cruise, it's a pretty phenomenal experience. You you are surprised and delighted to hear this little Disney touch early on in your cruise experience. It's also fun to see all the families and kids kind of light up at it. Uh, these days, when I go on a Disney cruise, I see a lot of returning cruisers because you can, you can tell the more cruises you go on the different lanyard you will get. Like um, you'll have a silver level, a gold level, and a platinum level. And I, I just went on my platinum cruise. So anyway, I see a lot of returning guests. So the ship's horn doesn't have quite the same effect that it used to. But the upgrade allowed it them to create new tunes for the horn to play. And they're all Disney-related. Or uh, one of the Disney properties, uh, a property owned by Disney, like Star Wars. There's an Imperial March horn now as well. Uh, also, this is kind of dorky but awesome. There is a physical button to sound the ship's horn. Uh, you have to make an announcement first to let people know hey by the way we're going to sound the horn so be prepared for that but the button itself is on a console and around the button is a little frame in the shape of mickey mouse ears so the button's in the center and you got the two ears on either side and i know it's dorky but i love disney so i think it's awesome and i want to push that button so badly um but i i wouldn't be able to resist it Uh, That, of course, is on the bridge. So it's right there along with all the other controls. Uh, There's a console area where there's the ship's horn. And you usually sound that whenever you're entering or leaving uh, a dock area. The Parrot Key restaurant during this renovation period, the 2013 one, uh, was changed at that time. So Parrot Key, which you can no longer go to, had a Caribbean theme. Um, actually, I don't know. The Disney Wonder might still have Parrot Key, but I haven't been on the Wonder in years, so I'm not sure. But the magic, the Parrot Key is gone. So that had a, a Caribbean theme. It was, uh, a lot of the cuisine was Caribbean in, in, uh, inspiration. They have now replaced that with a restaurant called Carioca's. And Carioca's is named after Jose Carioca, a Donald Duck character in the Three Caballeros cartoon. I don't know why I'm suddenly adopting an accent here. But the Three Caballeros cartoon is a very fun, classic Disney cartoon. And so the uh, the Three Caballeros takes place in South America. And the cuisine at uh, Cariocas is largely influenced by the food of Brazil. So it's a, a different change, different style of cuisine. And they did different theming, different lights uh, in order to give it this – much what well, a pretty large change in identity and another space that got a major overhaul was the oceaneers club that's when they ended up being able to incorporate stuff like marvel avengers and toy story things that weren't as uh prominent back in the late 90s when they were building the ship in the first place so uh when you go to like the or when your kid essentially goes to the avengers academy they can train to become a superhero. No word yet if Captain America whispers, Hail Hydra, to each recruit. That's a reference to a storyline that's going on right now in Marvel that I'm not crazy about. I also wonder if the Captain America aboard the Disney cruise ships is getting any flack about being a secret Hydra agent, because they do have, you know, lots of different Disney characters aboard these various ships, including Marvel characters. Typically it's, it's Captain America. Um, they've also had Star Wars characters as well. They've done Star Wars themed ship, uh, cruises. I have not gone on one of those, despite the fact that I also love Star Wars as well as Disney. Um, I did not do one of those yet, but I stress yet. Now, one of the other changes they made was at Animator's Palette. I mentioned the fiber optic static displays earlier, the ones that were just, Black and white sketches of various Disney characters, they couldn't change because they were built into the wall, but then the fiber optics would allow color to come into the picture. And, uh, so they would change from black and white to color, but you couldn't change what the portrait was of, right? Like a, a, a picture of, uh, of, of Baloo the bear from the Jungle Book is always going to be Baloo the bear. It would never change into anything else. When they did the renovation, they pulled out some of that and swapped in LED screens. And now you get a different experience. So instead of it just being uh, images that go from black and white to color, on the screens you'll see sketches uh, start to appear on the various portraits of various Disney characters. And as the dinner progresses, you get more details, you get color, you get animation Um, And they change over time. So you're not looking at just a a, an evolving sketch of a single character. It swaps as the dinner goes on. Uh, And again, it ends up being kind of a show. It's not just dinner. It's also a performance, which is kind of cool. At the end of one of the dinners at Animator's Palette, if you go twice, if your cruise is such that you go to Animator's Palette two times, the second time they have a special show. Where all the guests are invited to draw a character on a piece of paper. And all of those pieces of paper are taken backstage and scanned into a system. And then when you watch the show at the end, these characters are animated and they appear on screen. So a character you drew will appear on screen and dance around and move about. The way they do this is they have special blocks set aside that you draw in things like legs and arms and hands and a head and a body and that kind of stuff. And when they scan it, each of those blocks is uh, designed in such a way that it's considered to be a joint, right? Like the shoulders or the hips or whatever. And so when it's animated, it animates each of these blocks in a way so that the characters can move around when you're looking at them on the screen. When I did this, I drew a pirate with a peg leg and a hook and an eye patch. And his name was Lucky. Other Disney touches, uh, of course you've got the characters, uh, you've got the Disney movies that are shown in the various, uh, theaters. If a Disney film comes out during your cruise, they show it that same day on the ship. So it's premiere on land and sea. Um, and I think I might be seeing Finding Dory. Uh, by the time I this episode goes live, I will have seen Finding Dory, assuming that I it premieres while we're on the ship. I think it will actually, uh, which is kind of cool. The neat idea that you get this unique Disney experience. Um, Disney actually also does this this big fireworks display out at sea. Typically, they do this with a pirate themed deck party. So if you've heard the Tech Stuff episode on fireworks, you know how technical that can get. Uh, in the Disney shows, they tend to be 300 or so shots per fireworks display, which is modest by Disney standards, but it's at sea, so that makes it different. These are also controlled by a system that is highly synchronized with music and other uh, effects so that you get a story throughout the fireworks display, not just stuff shooting off into the sky and blowing up, which is also pretty cool, but it's more effective when it's all synchronized with music and everything else. Uh, They actually hold several patents for their fireworks displays, and they were the first cruise line to have a fireworks display out at sea because it involves getting a lot of permissions from various nautical authorities. Uh, The fireworks themselves are made out of edible material, so when they are done exploding and they go down into the ocean... Uh, they can actually be eaten safely by sea life. So there's no, um, there's no pollution there. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. So you can actually check this out and not feel any guilt about it. Now, a couple of other little things before I wrap up. One of them is that there are two suites aboard each of the Disney cruise ships that are the biggest and most luxurious staterooms on board. Uh, there's the Walt Disney suite and the Roy Disney suite. And they have lots of special features like a private hot tub. Um, I think in at least one of them, there's a piano. There are things like a, in, in the master bedroom, uh, there's a television that can rise up from the foot of the bed and then go back down when you're done with it. There are, uh, two and a half bathrooms (laughs) inside these, uh, inside these suites. They're pretty, Swanky. I have never been in one. I can't afford it. Uh, but it does sound like it would be quite the experience to be in the Walt Disney suite or the Roy Disney suite. I think they can sleep up to seven people in those suites as well. So they're, they're meant for a family of some means beyond my own. Maybe one day. I can keep hoping. Uh, but, interesting that they would go with this level of luxury the staterooms in general aboard disney cruise ships are larger than the industry standard and part of that was because disney was aiming for families so they needed more room for each stateroom because it could be a family of four not just a couple so uh, it was a practical concern some of the ships also have interactive portraits that animate or are part of an augmented reality game aboard the ship. I got to play with one of these on the Disney Dream, I believe. And that's really cool too. This idea that you've got these, these, uh, things that look like they are static portraits from Disney movies. But if you watch, you see that they start to animate. And sometimes they interact with each other. I remember coming to one hallway where there were, uh, portraits of pirate ships on either side of the, the corridor. Um, On either side of a a doorway, really. And they had a battle with each other. They actually started firing cannonballs at each other. And I thought that was really a clever thing to do. And the game aspect, you can play a game where you have um, cards that have a little pattern on them. And when you hold them up to the portraits, the portraits have an embedded camera that can pick up the pattern on the card and tell the portrait, this person is playing this particular game. And it's almost like a, a scavenger hunt. As you go through the ship and you try to solve a mystery or help out a character, and it's really an interesting way to explore the ship as well as engage in a fun interactive form of technology. Very clever approach to using augmented reality and uh, and video interactive video. Uh, so well done there. Now that pretty much concludes. All the stuff I have to say about the Disney magic and the basic technologies behind it. I look forward to my upcoming cruise and I hope to be able to explore more of this if I'm given the opportunity. Uh, We also have at HowStuffWorks.com a full article on how cruise ships work. I didn't go into full detail on the stuff from there because obviously that would be its own episode and I hope one day to get either Ben or Scott from car stuff in here and talk about cruise ships and what makes them work and the considerations that you have to take when you're creating something that big that has that many people in it for that long a period of time. Didn't go into stuff like how do you make sure that people are uh, being as careful as possible so they don't spread an illness. That's a big concern aboard cruise ships. Or just how wh- how's the water recycling system work? Uh, How frequently do they have to deal with things like waste, like people waste? That, I feel, would be a great episode as well, so I hope to do an episode with either Ben or Scott in the future to talk about the workings of your basic cruise ship. But since I'm going on vacation and I had to record another episode so that I would have enough to get through that time without going dead for a week or giving you guys a rerun, I chose to do Disney Magic. You're probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but the alternative was a rerun or not having any episode at all this week. And I I hope that this is a better alternative than those. If you guys have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, maybe there's some technology that either I've never covered or I covered so long ago that has transformed completely since then. You want me to talk about it. You want me to have a guest on to really dig down into the details let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle at both of those is techstuffhsw. I really do look forward to hearing from you guys. I'm very excited to do a bunch of new episodes in the near future. I'm hoping to get a lot of different guests in here to do two-person shows or interviews, that kind of thing. I really want to do more of those uh, moving forward if I can. Scheduling is a challenge, but I want to do more. And I want to hear what you guys want to hear more of as well. So get in touch with me. And until then, I'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.